Hello amazing physicians. Welcome to another episode of the Underdog Physician podcast. This is Vidya Kolu and Anish Desai. We are both practicing physicians in the US. As underdogs, the deck always feels like it's stacked against us. No matter what you do, it seems more challenging to reach your goal compared to your peers, and you possibly end up in an even more difficult situation. Our stories and common journey has laid the foundation for the Underdog Physician podcast. Despite our struggles, we got to where we are now with persistence, hard work, and more importantly, by surrounding ourselves with a nurturing community. This podcast is for the underdog pre-medical, medical students, residents, and aspiring physician entrepreneurs who are looking to find a source of inspiration to beat the odds no matter where you are in your journey. We'll be discussing residency and med school application process, navigating medical training effectively, personal finance, and work-life balance. We are so glad you are listening to our podcast while commuting, exercising, doing laundry, cooking, waiting in line, or whatever chore you might be working on. In the previous episode, we talked about Anisha's journey with applying to medical school and discussed the ways one can maximize chances of getting into a US allopathic medical school as a non-traditional applicant. In this episode, we'll be talking about the relevance of gap year when applying to medical school, how to obtain good letters of recommendations, and secure research and volunteering experience. Is it true that pre-meds with science majors have a higher chance of getting into medical schools and how about like non-traditional pathways? You had the opportunity to talk more during the interview, which is the after the fact, after applying. But how about even getting that initial interviews? Absolutely. So I think one of the things I learned from this process is actually that non-traditional students have the same probability of getting into medical school as traditional students, meaning students who take science majors. I think actually, in my case, being a non-trad actually worked in my favor because my it led to some very interesting conversations during my interview, which my interviewer had remembered. And it's just something that helps them, you know, re- remember you better when they're figuring out who to accept and who not to, or who to put in, put on waitlist. So I think it works to your advantage. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's equal for the most part. That's encouraging to know, especially with people interested in like non and who want to pursue that but at the same time if they are interested in pursuing medical career so the roads are not blocked so they are open absolutely <laughs> yeah totally different compared to what we experience back home like anyone after their high school they get divided into either like a math major or a science major and only science majors get to go into medical school and right, not the right. others. And can you walk us through the med school application process in the US? So the med school application process usually starts during the third year of, of the undergrad experience. So usually uh, when you're completed with the first half of your third year is when you want to start thinking about the MCAT. You want to start thinking about the recommendation letters. 
ideally you want to take the MCAT between June through August. And the primary application for U.S. allopathic schools is called MCAS, A-M-C-A-S. And usually that starts in May. I think for this year, I believe the, the date is going it's, it's already released. It's going to be May 4th. And you can start submitting the application on May 28th. Mm-hmm. And you, MCAS would then verify your application and then they would start submitting these verified applications to the medical school that you're applying for. So that's usually towards the end of June. And once you have a completed application, then you potentially start getting secondary applications, which are schools, medical school specific applications that you would fill out. Usually these just are additional uh, things that med schools would like to know. Usually you have two or three essays that you want to work on. They would expect you to write. And you know, after reviewing all of that, then you would potentially get an interview invite. And the interview invites usually starts in August and can extend all the way out to April. Mm-hmm. But the key to remember with the application process is that the admissions is on a rolling basis. So it helps you if you apply early, especially if you're an underdog, because that's the best way to ensure chances of maximum success. And the admissions are usually from October to toward beginning of April. Towards April is usually what ends up happening is students who are waitlisted would start coming off the waitlist in April because that's mm-hmm. when students with multiple acceptance offers are starting to make a decision on which school they want to ultimately go to and they pull out their acceptances from other schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and among the va- uh, various things that we went over with the med school application process, how 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 does one secure like a good letter of recommendation and who to ask for and I think with letter of recommendation it's the same similar approach in the sense that you don't necessarily need it from a science professor what you need is from someone who has known you for for several months to potentially several years because then they can really write about your personality and how you have grown and developed personally and professionally. And that is really what makes a strong letter of recommendation letter is your recommender going above and beyond uh, what you did in a coursework. Usually, I think a great LORs come from researchers, come from mentors, and come from faculty members that you have cultivated a strong relationship with beyond just the coursework that you took. And not to mention also from any volunteer experiences that you've done or from such as hospital volunteering or from any leadership experiences that you had. You know, usually it's always, usually these organizations are, are being overseen by a, by a faculty member. So if you demonstrate leadership opportunity skills, then, you know, potentially they can write you a strong letter of recommendation as well. And thank you for answering on the volunteering part. I was going to ask about (laughs) getting a letter of recommendation while you're volunteering in the hospital. In terms of the essays that you mentioned, so what are the essays going to be about? And and usually writing takes a lot of more introspection and what helps come up with a good essay. Absolutely. So personal statement, I would say, is the most important essay that you'll be writing. And it's it's a very introspective uh, process. I remember myself going through 30 plus revisions on my own personal statement. Wow. 
I think every every draft I was I was getting feeling more and more proud to be able to show it. And I think it took a lot of introspection and just reading and learning about what makes a good personal statement that helped me write a, a very compelling one. Um, it was something that also was talked about during my interview was my personal statement and that it was a memorable one. And, you know, I, I wanted, I'm thankful for all the guidance and mentorship that I've gotten when I was going through this process of writing and rewriting my personal statement. And who necessarily helped you mentor with a personal so, statement? I actually had a couple of them. So my pre-health advisor had actually linked us up with a English professor. So she was very instrumental with the initial drafts that I submitted. And also there was a writing program, writing uh, tutoring program at my undergrad. So I had a lot of them review my application my personal statement and they were able to give me great constructive feedback. And often one thing that's also overlooked is your family members that can also be a great source, you know, and great greatest critiques of your work. So I actually have my uh, parents as well as my sister and my cousins look over my personal statement and, and give me a lot of good feedback. So that is neat having all the important players involved and taking them along the journey yeah absolutely i think that played a big role in my success of being able to get a, get that acceptance letter i think it was more it was a lot more teamwork than an individual work mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you worked with coaches of when you're applying to med school so what role did they play um... yeah absolutely so the coaches were really there for helping me navigate the interview process as well as the post-interview correspondences so they helped me with coaching me for for interview and how to interview well and then when I got waitlisted you know we came up with a strategy together that would help me you know show my commitment and my interest to to the medical school I think they played a phenomenal role too because they they definitely helped me and gave me good guidance that I needed and where did you find your coaches, Anish? Were there any particular resources that helped you find the so, appropriate coach absolutely. that you could work so, with? At the time, I was I I got, I learned about this particular coach from a friend of mine. He's the one who connected me with with this particular coach, and I was able to figure out, you know, he was able to figure out my needs. And has had gone through the application process not too long ago. I think that definitely helped. Uh, the only only thing I would mention that was a little different was he was one of the top scoring students, so his experience was very different. And I, being the underdog, was in a very different situation. His ability to relate to me was was very different. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, he was able to help me get get the get the acceptance letter. Oh, so that is awesome. Like in spite of the challenges with diff- different levels of understanding, you were able to navigate it together. So yeah. for a, a pre-med student, like looking for a coach, what are some of the things that they need to be looking for in a coach? And what are the uh, don'ts? I think for pre-med students looking for coaching, I think coaching is one of the best investments you can make in yourself. I would say some of the things to look for would be to look for the track record of the coach that you're looking to hire. 
and also looking to see if they're we're in a similar position with in in if they were in your shoes or not. You know, very often I see there's there's often a mismatch. There's something that I had to an extent too, where I had a coach that had done phenomenal, had remarkable success with the application cycle, and had secured you know multiple scholarships. So look at look for someone that resonates with you and can can sort of empathize with you and and be able to help you. So definitely looking at that aspect as well. And then certainly looking at the price points also, because sometimes this can get pretty expensive. You know, this can go upwards of $300 an hour. So you also want to look at all those factors and figure out what's the, who's the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's a crucial step that one can take in figuring out a right coach with, who makes the process much seamless you that's absolutely and again with my recent experience with coaching i haven't used a coach before i always used to think that Mm -hmm. coaches are only for cricket players they have coaches (laughs) not for like you know regular people but it makes a lot of sense for having people who have gone through similar experiences kind of be there and guide you through the steps that needs to be taken especially for all these crucial, important uh, life events, I would say. so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. You know, I think the key is just finding someone who has done what you want to do eh, and someone who was in a similar situation as you and just trying to connect with them and see if they can help you. Yeah, that's awesome. In your opinion, Anish, what is the most important aspect of the med school application which is the most high yielding one yeah i would say the most important process in addition to taking the mcat is actually a personal statement very often we get fixated on these numbers but you know if you look at the large applicant pool a lot of them have the numbers but what you want to have is 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 a unique and compelling story because oftentimes you know, the MCAT and the GPA will only get you past the, the screening filters that schools have. I'm not saying all of them have it, but the ones that do will get you past those. But it's really your story and, and your interview that will really get you the, the acceptance letter. So I think for me, if I had to rank all the different aspects of the application process, I would say a personal statement is definitely the, the, the top one. Yeah. That is an important piece of information right there. And what are some of the tools that helped you get your thoughts together like while you're doing this introspection when you're writing this personal statement? So I think one of the best tools that I used was I just used a lot of... I, 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 had, I had been updating my resume a lot as I was doing a lot of these experiences. So I really looked at the, my resume as a tool and looked at all the different experiences and seeing how they piece together to make a cohesive story that would answer my why in terms of like why I want to pursue medicine. And I just used Microsoft Word to to write my drafts. And I later on transitioned to Google Drive, Google Docs, where I had, you know, my whoever was giving me feedback, I just shared a link with them and they were able to just write it there. 
And what are some of the things that helped you identify your why? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things with the application process that you learn is you you have to figure out your why for medicine. And I think that stems a lot from deep introspection in terms of why you want to pursue medicine, what experiences you have to show your your commitment and your dedication. You know, very often we hear things like I want to help people, I want to serve the underserved, but and and I think they're very valid reasons, but they sound too generic and vague. So my re- recommendation is to come up with a framework, a framework that will show what moment inspired you in your life that inspired you to pursue medicine and then showcase parts of your application that actually show that you're actually committed to medicine and discuss discussing how you will use what you learned uh, through those experiences to become a well-rounded, compassionate physician. Yeah, that is phenomenal. I think that's really the biggest, the biggest aspect of application is personal statement and highlighting why medicine uh, in it. I think it's the key. Mm-hmm. And Anish, you mentioned that you applied to osteopath. Uh, you applied to, so you applied to allopathic medical schools and Caribbean. So would you recommend applying to like MD or even DO programs for that matter? Absolutely. So I think, you know, I think with DO, you know, we, we actually have a podcast on this. If, if, you, if, you know, the listeners want to check it out. You know, I would say that, I would say you shouldn't be discouraged from applying for to osteopathic programs. I think if anything, they train you, they train you well to pursue, to pursue holistic medicine. And I think their training is definitely comprehensive and it's just a different philosophy of practicing medicine. And I would say if that's something that resonates with the, with the listeners, uh, that philosophy of treating a patient holistically, then I, I would definitely encourage them to, to look more into the programs and, you know, checking out the ACOMA's website because that's the application portal. But I wouldn't let, I wouldn't be discouraged uh, by, you know, so absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. you mentioned that you took a gap year so do you recommend people taking a gap year so what are the upsides and downsides of it i actually took a gap year as a way to just solidify my understanding of what i'm getting into and just to make sure i have the good clinical experience needed to be able to do well in medical school so i would recommend taking gap year for someone who's not 100% certain that medicine is what they want to do or they want to just make sure that this is something that still continues to interest them because as we grow, our interests can sometimes change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with medicine, it's a lifelong commitment. So you want to be absolutely certain that this is something that you can see yourself doing. So I'd recommend it for, for someone you know who's, who's in between their career, in between in terms of what to pursue. The other type of candidate that I would say gap year would be beneficial is someone who might not have the best GPA or might lack clinical volunteering experiences. I would say that a gap year would be would be would add a lot of meaning and value to their application. But I wouldn't recommend gap year for someone who has done well on their MCAT, who has done well in their GPA, has good clinical experiences. Yeah, and you mentioned you worked as a medical scribe during your gap year. So, what is the best strategy? 
they can implement to make the most of their gap year uh, so that they know whether medicine is for them or if they want to get uh, yeah. more experience. Yeah, so I think as when you're in the gap year, I would focus more on actually working uh, at a medical office or a hospital than doing a volunteer because with volunteers, there's a lot that you you don't get to experience that you would when you're actually working for a company. For me, working as a medical scribe at an urgent care meant that, you know, I was held to higher standards and I was actually more engaged in the day-to-day clinical affairs of the clinic and, you know, was responsible for seeing a lot of patients. And, you know, it was a good exposure to what actually medicine is like. I would say definitely consider getting a paid position either you know, at the hospital or at an outpatient clinic, that, that'll really help you get a good exposure and see if this is something that you really want to pursue. Yeah, excellent. And one of the common things that we see uh, people getting out of medical school and even after residency is the concern of getting out on a lot of student debt. So what are some of the things that can help going into the med school application process that would help at least minimize some of the effects? Are there any strategies that pre-medical students can use to minimize that burden? I would say one of the things that they could do is definitely apply to for FAFSA once they get accepted because FAFSA is one of the government federal aid agencies. And they, most medical schools offer some sort of compensation via the student loan aid program. And sometimes you can also get merit-based scholarships, and these are school-specific. And usually you find out about them in like March, April, which is when you find out a lot about the financial aid and the finances of, of you know, attending medical school. I would say that's one of the biggest things you could take advantage of. And also if you happen to be someone taking a gap year, and working for a job, I would definitely say to save a little bit as much as possible because it'll help you offset your rent cost or you know, pay for tuition or you know, anything else related to your medical school expenses. That is awesome. So it was great learning from you, Anish, about the med school application process. Now I'm more equipped with how the application process goes here in the U.S. So thanks for educating me on that while we educate our listeners on the process too. So what is one motivational quote that you can share with our audience? So this is one of the questions, one of the quotes that actually struck out to me when I was getting discouraged when I was a pre-med. And the quote is by Nelson Mandela. And he said, it always seems impossible until it's done. And looking back at the quote, I definitely see now you know, what he was trying to say. And for all the listeners out there, especially the underdogs, I think 80% is mindset and 20% is hard work. Keeping a positive outlook definitely goes a long way. And I I actually had a great pleasure sharing my experiences and sharing my understanding of the medical school application process. And I want to wish the listeners out there who are applying this year, best of luck. Yeah, we wish you all the best and uh, keep your head up and stay strong. And underdog is just in what we perceive we are as, but we don't have to remain underdogs. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's a lot of it is, is perception and, uh, you know, oftentimes it stems from something intrinsic. All right. Thank you, Anish. Thanks, Vijay. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Underdog Physician Podcast. As you go about your week, no matter how challenging your journey might be, we want you to remember that you're an awesome individual. If you loved listening to this podcast, do subscribe, leave a review in the podcast platform you're listening to us from, and share with others on social media. Please do not forget to tune into our next episode. Until then, Namaste. Namaste.